Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we've really got to break down the WWE's top 50 list of greatest tag teams ever. Zelina Vega is back. Crowds are inches away from returning. And we've done 350 episodes. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to episode 350 of Not Sam Wrestling. It is absolutely insane. We've actually done more than 350 shows. I mean, especially if you count all the Thursday shows that we do on Patreon, you know, for almost two years at this point. We've been doing an extra show every Thursday. So there's a lot more there. You know, there, there's close to 500 shows, if not more. But, you know, and plus the, uh, all the emergency shows we've done throughout the years. But in terms of the weekly episodes, 350 weekly episodes of Not Sam Wrestling are officially in the can as of today. And I really just want to thank you guys for doing this. It's very interesting the way this podcast started, uh, I've you know when it started, I was working at Sirius XM, and it got to this point where I really was interviewing a lot of wrestlers, and I didn't have my own weekday daily show on Sirius, but I, I would end up finagling my way into you know having a, a weekend show, or I was like Sunday afternoons for a while, Saturday nights for a while. Eventually, I got to Friday afternoons. But this was way before even Friday afternoons. I think I was still in my either Saturday night at midnight phase or maybe Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. going in there and doing a live show every day. But either way, I gotten I was getting wrestling interviews quite a bit. And I remember going to Sirius and trying to figure out this would have been actually, you know what this was? This was for sure when I was transitioning into going to Sunday afternoons. Because my original concept for doing a show on Sunday afternoons was, what if I did a wrestling show, just a show all about professional wrestling for what was then the Opie and Anthony channel? And I don't remember, Busted Open probably existed on SiriusXM, but keep in mind, when Busted Open first started, and I did, I've been doing Busted Open show on Sirius since it first began. Like I've gone through multiple co-hosts on that show. When I when I first started doing that show, it was like Monday and Wednesday afternoons floating at like five o'clock or something like that. Like it, it was totally if you caught it, you caught it. But it wasn't taken seriously by Sirius XM. The people who were doing it always took it seriously, but Sirius wasn't taking it seriously. Ironically. And but that's not serious. That was wrestling as a whole. This was you know, almost 10 years ago, I think at this point. And I remember going to my program director and saying, well, what if I just did a show about wrestling? And I did like a wrestling interview and kind of just gave my opinion on what was going on. And at the time, WWE and I guess TNA maybe, you know, cause that was way before AEW, but way after WCW. So it was that period of time where WWE had that stronghold on everything. Maybe the Indies, I don't know. But I remember my program director going like a show like just about wrestling. I mean, I don't know. It's that classic like Seinfeld thing, a show about nothing. Who's going to watch that? 
He's like a show just about wrestling. I mean, if you want to put some wrestling interviews in here and there, but I, I don't really, I don't really see it. I don't see it. You know, nothing against you, Sam. I just don't see the concept. Just wrestling. He's like, okay. And like I sat on that for a while, and then I was like, why don't I just do a podcast? You know, I got all these interviews I can do, and it was also a matter of like, there's also so many people in wrestling that I want to talk to. And I don't want to do an interview that is friendly to the mainstream non-wrestling fan. I don't want to interview these people in wrestling in a way that it would bring in non-fans. I want to talk about wrestling with these people. I want to go deep and I want to talk to them in a way that fans like me would appreciate. Because I don't want to, like, if I have the opportunity to talk to some of these people... I want to take advantage of that opportunity, almost selfishly, but in a way that I would want somebody in my position to take advantage of that opportunity. I always hated when I would see wrestlers get interviewed by people and they would just be asking questions that were clearly sort of for that vanilla, bland, overarching audience where the wrestling fans would watch it because it, it is a wrestler but even people not into wrestling will find it interesting that so-and-so likes to have this topping on his ice cream. And I'd be like, who cares? Like, let's get into the nitty-gritty of wrestling. Let's get into the mind of this guy or girl. And so I was like, maybe if I start this podcast, I can start doing, taking advantage of every opportunity that I can get to talk to wrestlers and people within the wrestling industry about wrestling and talk to an audience about my opinions on what's going on. And so that was it. You know, I remember episode one, I want to say like, and, and it was like episode one was like, there was a viral kid who was like four years old and was playing Name That Tune with WWE themes. And I ended up in communication with his dad, Evan Wexel, who was like, yeah, I would, I would do an interview with you about wrestling. I think that was episode one. I think Chris Jericho was like episode two, maybe, because he was at Sirius promoting something. And then I think like Brian Shields, who's written a bunch of wrestling books, was like episode three. And it was just like taking advantage of this opportunity to sit down and talk to this dad and his little kid about like why his dad loves wrestling so much and how cool was it to find out that your kid loves wrestling. And then, you know, have Chris Jericho on and not have to be like, you know, a lot of people might know you from TV. It's like, no, I want to talk to you about your rivalry with Shawn Michaels. I want to talk to you about the, everything. I want to talk to you about Y2J. And then to have, like, I think his name is Brian Shields, to have him on and be like, let's go deep about this stuff that you wrote about. What did you learn when you were interviewing Pat Patterson or whatever it was? And I was like, yeah, I love this, and I know that I would love if there was a show like this. So it was always my approach doing what was then Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. That's why I put no sort of pressure on myself to come up with a flashy name or, you know, come up with some kind of, I don't know, industry jargon term that I could twist into a, into a, like the, you know, turnbuckle bump or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just wanted to do a wrestling podcast that was hosted by me. So that's where the title came from, <laughs> believe it or not. Um... But to watch it grow, and even then, I was like, people thought I was late coming to the podcast game when I started it 350 weeks ago. Watching 
wrestling podcasts change and evolve and grow and build and build to the point where it's like wrestling podcasts are one of the biggest genres in podcasts. You got comedy podcasts. I think Colt Cabana had a ton to do with that, by the way, because Colt Cabana is the one that took the what what comedy podcasts were doing, which was for a long time. It was, a, it was Mark Maron. It was a comedian talking to another comedian. And that format just exploded. And Colt Cabana is the one that said, what if it was a wrestler talking to another wrestler? That opened the floodgates, I feel like. That was, that was a huge step forward. But uh, I had no idea where it was going to go. I had no idea. any. Of the, uh, there was no business plan behind it. I wasn't in it. I didn't make any money. I mean, I'm still like, it could never be my primary source of income because it's not. I don't know. I just don't look at it that way. I look at it as something that I feel still to this day very lucky to do and something that I like that it's out there. And, you know, I feel really lucky and fortunate that so many of you guys have ridden with me through every incarnation of this podcast when it was just me sitting in my living room, my one-bedroom apartment alone, trying to work things out, you know, riding through the Linendahl years of just, I mean, so much great stuff coming out of that. You know, the the seeing the podcast evolve to the point that it was not as interview-focused anymore, more opinion-based, the live events that we've done, and getting to this place where I'm at now, where I've told you, you know, that I'm, I'm planning on having an interview Every other week, you know, coming out of COVID, I just, I look at the wrestling podcast, not Sam wrestling, this podcast differently. You know, I, 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 I'm for whatever reason, I feel refreshed and I, I'm starting to feel like I felt when I first started doing the podcast where it's like, it's time for me to go back to taking advantage of having the opportunity to talk to people who are, are passionate about this thing that I'm passionate about as well, professional wrestling. But talk to people that, that live it and breathe it. Talk to people that are in the ring. Talk to people that are doing their thing and, and, and maybe even expose them to a new audience. If anything, just selfishly take advantage of the fact that I'm going to get to sit down with them for an hour and pick their brain, you know? And that's where... Somebody like, you know, and, and I think uh, some of the stuff that I did over COVID, you know, was making me rethink of the Dan Housen interview. It's, the, it's, it's the, the, a lot of the independent talent was making me rethink things. But the interview with, with Allie Catch that we did a few weeks ago, I loved so much. The interview with Nick Gage that we did two weeks ago, I loved that so much. We're going to have another great long-form in-studio interview on next week's show. And that's going to be something that continues here on the podcast, you know. I'm I'm gonna try. I, I'm trying to figure out a schedule in my mind. I you know I'd like after every pay per view to be able to offer you a, a pay per view recap show. And in order to do a proper pay per view recap show, I think it's weird to do an interview and the pay per view recap. So I'm trying to do every other week topic interview topic interview. But I might have to double up on one or the other just to keep in line with those uh, post pay per view shows, which I think are important. But that's where my mind's at right now. I'm just, you know, I I feel like at episode 350 here, we've, we've planted the seeds 
over the last month or so. And the podcast is once again evolving and moving into a new direction. And I'm, I'm really excited to be in a spot where, depending on the week, it's either about analysis that some of you love, current product analysis, mixed with kind of that overarching old school thing, whether it's, you know, talking about best fan moments ever, whether it's talking about the best promos from last week, which we'll get into some of the emails I got, or this week when we're going over this tag team list that that is going to bring us into a bigger conversation. And I'll have a guest on, Mike Mansuri will be back to talk about the tag teams. Um, but to have that mixed with great longer form interviews with people who I'm just curious about and excited to get to talk to. I'm really excited for where the podcast is going. And I'm really glad that you're on board with me. I especially appreciate the people uh, who have signed up and become not Sam shills over at patreon.com slash not Sam wrestling. The people that are, are around because they want more Sam. The idea that you guys are like, okay, it's nice that you have a weekly podcast. We'd like a bi-weekly podcast. We'd like two podcasts a week. And it's like, all right, I'll do that for you. All right, well, we want to watch you record the podcast live. All right, I'll do that for you. Whatever you need, guys. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. And I really, I, I appreciate everybody that's listening. Uh, and I double appreciate everybody that signed up at patreon.com slash wrestling. But either way, do me a favor as we move forward here from episode 350. Um, and leave a review on iTunes. Subscribe, Spotify, Stitcher, SiriusXM app, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, hit the subscribe button, download every week, leave a review, leave a rating, do all that stuff. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling, uh, where all the interviews will be going up, hopefully same day that they drop on the podcast. Um, and yeah, let's, let's, let's have some fun with this coming out of, of what we've been through coming out of COVID. You know, I feel differently. I, I feel differently looking at the world as a whole coming out of, of the pandemic. And I've been talking about it and maybe it's just cause I'm so excited. So I keep talking about it, but I feel like wrestling is there too. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing what AEW Dynamite feels like this week in front of a brand new arena. You know, like I tweeted something about uh, wrestling being back in front of fans, and there were people who said, uh, fans have been back for weeks. Why don't you talk about the competition? And I'm like, first of all, it's not my competition. I'm a guy who hosts a wrestling podcast. Second of all, uh, I get that, but it's, it's a big difference. You know, the people going to Daly's Place. I mean, you know, there have been people back at the Capitol Wrestling Center, too. It's different. It's, it's not the same as touring a show. You know, it's awesome that AEW figured out a way to get 1,000 people into a building. It's amazing that uh, NXT figured out a way to get 300 people into the uh, performance center. That's nuts. But ultimately, seeing a wrestling promotion tour and go to different arenas and being in front of different crowds and crowds that are excited to have a show back being performed in front of them, that's going to be where you feel like you, you get a sense of where wrestling is right now. So I'm really excited to see that. I, I can't wait for Money in the Bank weekend, SmackDown, Money in the Bank, Raw, to be in front of a live audience. I mean, even say what you want about Raw. Be, if you're one of the people who's very critical about Raw, and I don't, I don't blame you if you are. There's going to be fans to answer to now. There are absolutely segments on Raw 
where I watch going, there's no way they could get away with this in front of a live audience. There's no way, especially now. I feel like when WWE gets back in front of a live audience, you're going to see a repeat maybe amplified of what happened at WrestleMania, where night one, everybody was just happy to be back. But night two, if it was BS, the the, the fans were going to let you know. They were gonna, they're going to boo a segment if they don't like a segment. I think SmackDown's got less to worry about that. I think if NXT ends up in front of fans again, they have nothing to worry about. I mean, the, the shows that they've been doing since the last TakeOver, incredible. I, if you're not watching NXT, I feel like it, it's starting to drift back into becoming wrestling's best-kept secret because the NXT shows in the last three weeks have been incredible. This Samoa Joe authority figure era of NXT, I really feel like is going to be one of those eras that we talk about, you know, I, I think that we're finally building up to a carrying cross title match. You know, it's announced uh, over the weekend that at the Great American Bash, which is this Tuesday, carrying cross and Johnny Gargano are going to have a, a, a confrontation, not a match, a confrontation. And there was a time where I feel like NXT was falling into this trap of hot-shotting a lot of these matches where they're like, okay, we're doing Great American Bash. Let's have Johnny Gargano uh, jump carrying cross, and then we'll do the match at Great American Bash. It's like, okay, I mean, I, I, I haven't even felt this yet, you know? I mean, the five-way at TakeOver, it was, like, amazing. It was an amazing five-way, first of all. It was amazing to see it. However, it was announced two weeks before TakeOver. And it was only announced because, like, all these people were like, I'd like a title match. And Karrion Cross was like, I'll fight all of you. And William Regal was like, sounds good, guys. And so it's like as excited as you are to see that match, I get more excited about this idea that, okay, on paper, Karrion Cross versus Johnny Gargano is a lot of fun. Oh, but you're going to tell a story as we get there? Love it, you know. Hopefully it won't just be a confrontation at Great American Bash and then they go, next week we'll have the title match. But, you know, Swerve winning the North American Championship this week, Diamond Mine showing up last week. I mean, it really is this feeling of cool stuff is happening. You can't necessarily call it. And you can trust the product to be consistent and cohesive. And that's the most you can ask from a wrestling promotion. So, you know, NXT is the show that if you're not watching, I would suggest watching it. Um, SmackDown was a bit of a shocker. Uh, you know, and again, it's this cool stuff is happening on SmackDown. Edge's return last week on SmackDown, not like last week in terms of like four days ago, but like the week before when Edge came back after Paul Heyman said there's nobody left. Shock. I was surprised to see Zelina Vega back this week. I, I was, look, I do wish that Zelina Vega had not lost her match back. However, I understand the story that's being told with Liv Morgan now, and that has nothing to do with Liv Morgan. That's just the, the concept of Zelina Vega, even if it was just a roll-up, even if her opponent got lucky, even if it was a fluke, just the idea that, you know, Zelina Vega is back and she gets outsmarted her first match back. It's like, I'd, I'd, I'd really rather if you're going to bring Zelina Vega back. And the reason you're bringing her back is because she is that talented. And you know that there are a lot of fans that, especially after she left, wanted to see her back even more. That being the case, I wish they would have portrayed her as 
sort of this, like she's the one to beat, you know? Maybe even have Liv Morgan get screwed out of a victory so she can say, look, I would have won that match, but the, you, like you have to acknowledge that the things happening to me are unfair. Maybe that's how you do it because, I, yeah, I, I just feel like even though she wasn't the uncrowned women's champion when she left, you could paint Zelina Vega to be the uncrowned women's champion now that she's coming back. That's that's kind of where I'd like to see it go. Um, and according to, uh, as far as SmackDown goes, too, the Corbin stuff, like the Corbin stuff is real weird. But I'm interested in seeing where it goes. You know, I like uh, Corbin's commitment to it. The fact that he's like kind of crying a little bit. The fact that he didn't shave his head fresh for the show. I don't know what the hell Pat McAfee was about. I mean, just I, like, it's like, Literally in the same segment, I wanted to be like, kudos to Pat McAfee for sitting on Michael Cole's head. That was great. Pat McAfee, you know, when Allie Catch was on this show, she talked about how one of the things that independent wrestlers are now aware of, if they're good, is that they want to have the spot that turns into the meme. And I can tell you, I know from experience that Pat McAfee is a meme-conscious individual. He's smart that way. That's how people communicate in 2021. That's that's how relevancy is established. I don't care how popular a show is. If I'm not seeing clips, I don't know anything about it. The fact that on SmackDown, we immediately, five seconds after it's happening, we're seeing GIFs of Pat McAfee sitting on Michael Cole's head. I'm like, that was a great thing that happened there. And I would imagine that Pat McAfee, every time he knows there's going to be a Boogs segment, I can't even do that Pittsburgh accent without stuttering through it. A boogs segment <laughs> on SmackDown. If I know Pat McAfee like I think I know Pat McAfee, the brain is ticking, and he's trying to figure out how to meme it. You know? Stat Guy Greg from Cheap Heat was in our uh, Discord, and his theory was that uh, Vince McMahon was mad at Pat McAfee for jumping up on the desk and celebrating when Boogs came out. I, I think that that's been disproven, SGG. I would say that that has been summarily disproven, if I could use some of your lawyer lingo. But in the same segment, he goes, I'm like, man, Pat McAfee can do no wrong. He just sat on Michael Cole's head. Then he goes like this. Man, at least uh, Corbin's... Uh, hairline is 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 fresh I'm like what the hell are you talking about what are you looking at have you been in a barbershop in your life McAfee's call of Baron Corbin's lineup was disgraceful disgraceful did it was it so disgraceful that it took away from well I think it did it didn't cancel out sitting on Michael Cole's head but it took away from it for me it did take away from it so there is that whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Um, but yeah, especially like the segment with like Baron Corbin like telling uh, Boogs, screw you. Because I was sitting there going like, Boogs is a dick. Why is Boogs being such an a-hole to Baron Corbin right now? So I'm interested in seeing where that goes and uh, how fans react to it. I would love for it to result in Baron Corbin really developing a mean streak. I, like, I, like, I'd love for Baron Corbin to become one of those jilted lovers that won't allow himself to ever be hurt again. Like his heart closes because he allowed Shinsuke Nakamura and Boogs to hurt him. And so he'll never be hurt again. And, 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 so, and so Baron Corbin just becomes this, this ruthless villain, just, just somebody who will tear someone limb from limb, destroy a man's life, and not think twice about it. Just a soulless killer. That's what I'd like for Baron Corbin. Because I still see Baron Corbin as like potentially one of the great heels in WWE. But he can't have emotions, and he's got to win matches. That's my hope for Baron Corbin. Um, I do want to say rest in peace to the Patriot. I was real bummed to read that Del Wilkes had passed away. Of course, the Patriot rose to fame in 1997 during the Attitude Era, coming into the WWE. Really, uh, kind of just as Bret Hart was getting started, being anti-American Bret Hart, where he would be a, a good guy in other parts of the world, but a villain in the United States saying, you know, America's shaped like a toilet. I think he might have said Pittsburgh is the armpit of, maybe Washington, D.C. was the armpit of America. I don't know. Or maybe he said he wanted to put an enema into Washington, D.C., making it seem like it was the a-hole of America. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, the Patriot came in and and had a rivalry with Bret Hart, uh, worked with Vader a little bit. Um, you know, he's very memorable. I think people who watched during the Attitude Era, because the, the Patriot is such a memorable character. He actually used, Kurt Angle's music was the Patriot's music. I remember when Kurt Angle debuted, real, like, what, they just recycled the Patriot's music? Not realizing that Kurt Angle would be so impactful that nobody would ever think about the Patriot again when it came to that theme music. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I always remember the Patriot. So the Patriot had a real interesting career because he's one of these guys that, created this character before it got stolen from him, apparently. And Tom Brandy just put on a red, white, and blue mask. Salvatore Sincere put on a red, white, and blue mask and toured the Indies as the Patriot. Speaking of soulless, <laughs> um, that's what he says happened. He says Tom Brandy just started telling promoters that he had bought the gimmick from Dell Wilkes so the promoters could book him twice. So that he would ask for a bigger fee, not double. So it would be cheaper than booking two wrestlers. But that Tom Brandy could work twice. He could work as Salvatore Sincere or Tom Brandy. And then he could work later in the night as the Patriot because he'd throw the mask on. And people wouldn't know the difference. So there's all these poor kids out there who went to these indie shows, paid 20 bucks for a Polaroid with the Patriot, not realizing Sal Sincere was under the mask. That's a bummer. That's like going to these indie shows and getting an autograph from Doink. 
and Matt Bourne hasn't been in that town since 1992. It's a bummer. There's no reason to meet a guy in clown makeup. I don't care if it's Ray Apollo. If the marquee says, first of all, Doink should not be doing any more signings at all because Matt Bourne is no longer with us. But the idea that anyone, Ray Apollo, Steve Kern, Steve Lombardi, any of them, unless it says here to do signings, Doink 94 through 95, Doink post Survivor Series 94. Something like that, okay. But if it just says Doink is here, it's a lie, in my opinion. And prior to the death of Matt Bourne, it should definitely have been Matt Bourne in that outfit. I met Doink twice. Once as a young lad. I got a picture with him. I thought it was over on my wall somewhere, but maybe it's not. And then once as an adult at a Legends of the Ring signing. Thank God and God bless. You can look at that photo and you see number one. When I was a kid and I met Doink, that was Matt Bourne. And I think he was just off getting released from WWE, but he was still doing the gimmick. But he wore, he looked exactly like it. The face paint was perfect. The suit was still perfect. Like it looked like Doink from TV. And you can look at the picture now. It's clearly Matt Bourne. And then later, you know, within the last 10 years, he was doing a signing at like Legends of the Ring. So luckily for me, I got a picture with him. Because he's the man. He's one of the greatest characters ever. Certainly one of the most underrated characters. But again, we're not talking about Doink. We're talking about Del Wilkes. Poor Wilkes family. I mean, they're sitting here going like, oh, good. They're giving the Patriot his respect on not Sam wrestling. Why is this guy just droning on about Doink and how much he loves Doink so much? Doink's great. However, I love the Patriot because the Patriot took that character, uh, one of the few guys that created a character himself and was able to take it to multiple promotions. So, um... Those that don't remember the Patriot first, most people remember the Patriot from WWE in 1997, but some will remember him from Japan. I wasn't watching Japanese wrestling at the time, so I I don't remember him from all Japan or anything like that. I do remember when he showed up in WCW around 95 before WWE, and WWE is the end of his wrestling career. But in 95, I remembered him showing up in WCW. He's part of the tag team Stars and Stripes. It was the Patriot and Marcus Bagwell. Um, and he ended up leaving WCW after Hogan got there because he, uh, saw that the company was in a Hogan direction, very similar to Steve Austin's story. Uh, and he ended up going back to Japan, but where I remember the Patriot from first was the global wrestling federation. And because that was my first exposure to the Patriot, that's always where I most closely associate with him. I remember when he got to WWE in 97, I remembered him from like 93 in GWF, uh, the Global Wrestling Federation. That's where I saw the Lightning Kid for the first time. That's where I saw Booker T for the first time. They used to have a syndicated TV. I don't know if it was syndicated, actually. It was on cable. But they used to have a TV show that would run every day on ESPN. So I think it was on ESPN. So like every day during the week at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, GWF would be on ESPN. And it would just be like, it wouldn't always even be in order. It would Because it's not like they were filming a new TV show every day. So some of the stuff you were watching was not brand new. But I wouldn't watch it religiously. But anytime I was home from school and I was switching around and I could catch GWF, I would always watch GWF. And I also, all the magazines. Like when I saw the Patriot in one of the Aptor magazines, it immediately catches your eye. You're like, who is that? That's a cool mask. 
you know, and you start to you start to to get aware. But like, look to me, the Patriot and Bret Hart is the second rivalry I think of with the Patriot. The first rivalry I always think of with the Patriot is the Patriot and the Dark Patriot. The Dark Patriot came into GWF to feud with the real Patriot. He was like the regular Patriot, except instead of red, white, and blue, I think he wore black, gold, and maybe red. But he was black instead of blue. It was evil. Still American. Evil American. So that's what I always think of. But he was 59 years old and uh, a real bummer. A real bummer. Um, I'm excited to watch the Luger, Lex Luger Icons documentary, the last three, Beth Phoenix, Yoko. Yoko was amazing. And Rob Van Dam, they were all amazing. Yoko, Beth Phoenix, and Rob Van Dam were all really good. So I expect, I have high expectations for Lex Luger. Sunday afternoon, I checked Peacock and it wasn't up there. You used to be in the old WWE network. They'd be like, this premieres at, you know, 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. on Sunday night, but it would be up all day on Sunday. So I didn't see it. Sunday afternoon, uh, unless I missed it. Uh, and then they also announced that Kevin Nash is going to be the next guest on Broken Skull Sessions, which I'm looking forward to. That show gets better and better. I don't know if Stone Cold is just finding his groove, but the Jericho one was amazing. The Mick Foley one might have been my favorite one yet, and that's probably due, if not primarily, then in part in a big way to the friendship that Steve Austin and Mick Foley have. Um but it was just really, really great. I really, really enjoyed it, and I would highly recommend it. Um, now, of course, uh, I'm sure that a lot of you are wondering. I, I tweeted about it a little bit last week. Uh, the big internet controversy. Bubba Ray Dudley caught that Sam Roberts internet heat. That's what they should call it. I don't. Get, that's what bothers me. I get so much internet heat, and I never get credit for credited for any of it. Like they should call that the way X Pac heat is a thing. Sam Roberts heat should be a thing when the entire internet turns on you and it's just vicious and venomous and, and just wants to see you burned alive for simply giving a wrestling opinion that should be called Sam Roberts heat. I don't get any credit for anything. It should be Sam Roberts heat when the internet wants to see you electrocuted to death for giving an opinion about wrestling. I should also get credit for feeding the entire WWE by co-hosting with people on the NXT pre-show. Think about it. I co-hosted with Pat McAfee. Boom. SmackDown lead play-by-play. I co-hosted with Mansoor. Boom. Monday Night Raw superstar. I co-hosted with Jimmy Smith. Two dates. Boom. He's the lead play-by-play of Raw. I would not be at all surprised with the way Corey Graves has been tweeting lately if they throw Justin Barrasso on as, as color commentary for Monday Night Raw. I am the star maker of these pre-shows. And I believe that I should get credit for that too. There's a lot that I'm due. But that, that's, besides, that's besides the point. Uh... I talked about the Bubba Ray Dudley thing. You know, he, he, he got, I think, heat for a couple of things. He uh, got all up in Tony Khan's kitchen on Busted Open Radio saying that the referees uh, at AEW were not doing a great job. And Tony Khan was like, what? Go kick rocks, Bubba. I, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but Bubba's not wrong about that. Like, it's at least worth having a conversation, I think. He's definitely not wrong. 
And then he got heat, too, because he told uh, Eddie Kingston to shut the F up and stay in his lane. Um, he said a lot of kind things about Eddie Kingston before he said that, for the record. Uh, but I, I got into that kind of in-depth on the Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, Patreon-exclusive podcast, which you can get at patreon.com slash Wrestling. But that did come into the conversation when I decided to take a look, speaking of Peacock, at the WWE's top 50 tag teams. Uh, specifically, the episode denoting one through five. Lots of controversy. New Day was named the number one tag team uh, in the history of WWE. Which I'll get into. I'll tell you what my opinion is on all that. But I, I wanted to have a conversation about the whole top five list and really about the whole top 50 list. And I needed, this was a last minute decision to kind of focus this show around who really are the best tag teams ever in WWE. Because that's what the list was, specifically, by the way, WWE. So who really were the best tag teams in WWE? And I thought to myself, who can I call on a moment's notice? I don't like doing these Zoom interviews anymore. I like my having getting back to in-person interviews, but it's July 4th weekend. It's last minute. I'm going to open up my Zoom. Who can I open it up for that I can just text and know that I can have a real in-depth, intelligent conversation about some of the best tag teams of all time. So, of course, the bat phone rang on my buddy Mike Mansuri, former uh, produ- the person who produced me for a lot of my shows in WWE. He's been on this show quite a few times before. Look him up if you haven't heard of him. He's a genius, and he's going to help me break down the top 50 tag teams specifically the top five in WWE history, according to WWE. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. So I only turn on the Zoom these days for very, very special people. You all know this. You all know that that I'm not, bald Sam is not COVID Zoom Sam. No, no, no. It's in studio or nothing, unless you're a special human being. And this person is a very special human being. Welcome back to Not Sam Wrestling, former WWE big backstage producer guy, also formerly from the wrestling podcast world, Mike Mansuri. What's going on, Mike? Hey, Sam. You know, the next time I get a business card printed up, I'm going to make sure that <laughs> that you are responsible for uh, making my job title what it is to be to appear on there. It's good to be here, man. Glad to be back with you. And I'm sorry that we are doing this in Zoom, no. over Zoom and not inside the Not Sam Studios. But, uh, you know, what crappy holiday weather we're having here in the Northeast. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And I was, you know, since it is a holiday, my first thought was that maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the most patriotic wrestlers of all time because there is a nice list. And, you know, I feel like... I kind my personal opinion. I always took it that red, white, and blue Hogan was kind of just cashing in. I felt like Hacksaw was the real deal. Like Hacksaw felt patriotic for no apparent reason, whereas Hogan was patriotic because it served him better. But yeah, that's a whole other conversation, you know. Patriotic via convenience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Gotta sell out some tickets, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there's too much controversy for us to talk about that. There's too much controversy because WWE put out a list. So, you know, I mean, there's there's a list out there that we have to analyze here. 
I, and I'm looking forward to it. And admittedly, and honestly, I've yet to see this list. I have seen the controversy surrounding the top 10 of the list, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the number one spot, which we'll get into as we kind of dive into this together. But man, has wrestling Twitter been a just a firestorm of activity over the last couple of months, bud? You know, it's so funny with wrestling Twitter. Like you actually talk to people. And that's another reason why I like talking to like wrestlers in person. Because when you talk to wrestlers about wrestling in person, by and large, what a pleasant conversation you're going to have. They love wrestling. You can get into stuff. You can geek out over stuff. And you just end up feeling good. But then you go on the internet and you talk to wrestling fans about wrestling. And it's just a catastrophe. It's wild. And regardless of what your opinion is, someone's going to tell you you're stupid, you're wrong, or <laughs> right. whatever, the, you know, what, whatever's the opposite of their feeling, you're going to be berated for your opinion and your, your, your perspective. So it's, it's almost worth it to not have one. No, who gives a shit? It's, it's Twitter. Let's, let's have a good time and be on there. But man, is it a place? Yeah, it is a place. And for me, I love it. I love watching this. You know, I love like, if there's a dumpster fire, I'm not the guy that you call for the fire, the, the extinguisher. You know, I'm going to sit there. I love watching the dumpster fire burn because who knows what's going to happen next. Is somebody going to push this thing into the street? Maybe there'll be an explosion, you know? Yeah, but you've also made a career from your early <laughs> days as a radio intern of sitting and watching, but very, very, very sneakily uh-huh. fanning the flame. Right, right. And I mean, and I tra- I brought that with me to WWE. What would happen if I said something on a pre-show that I know is going to drive Twitter insane, but don't tweet about it? Have fun with it. <laughs> yeah, here's Twitter, I, I made this for you. You can have this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah you, uh, you've made a career, but you may, you may very well be the ultimate troll. <laughs> and nobody knows. That's the best no, part. Yeah, yeah. You, you do it innocently standing by from the sidelines. But every once in a while, if you pay close enough attention, you can just see Sam just tossing a smidge of gasoline on there, just enough to get the flame to jump up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your dog knows it, too. Your dog's like, you're right. You nailed it. Marley always knows when we're recording. That's what she wants to be her most vocal. I think she's looking for a little run in show business. Yeah, no, I get it. My dog's the same way. Um, But let's talk about this list. So the controversy that you know, first of all, I think this is a genius move uh, on the WWE's part. They somehow made one of these list shows episodic, like over the course of weeks. I mean, this thing took a month to get done. But they, they released it, like, by five. Like, they did, like, an hour or a half hour, however long the specials are. But they did, I don't know, five or ten different specials just running down the list. And maybe they did some of the earlier ones they grouped in more because they're not going to spend, you know, ten minutes talking about number 48. But still, just the fact that you had, they had people tuning in every week to find out who's next on the top tag team list of all time, pretty smart. Um but this was the big week, of course. It was the top 50 tag teams of all time on Peacock. And uh, they dropped one through five. And number one, so let's talk about number one first. Because number one, I think, is a controversial pick only because it's such a recent tag team. It's a current day tag team. And I think you would argue that the golden age of WWE tag teams was, you know, late 80s into the early 90s. But when you really look at it, it's hard to argue that there is a better WWE tag team because that's the other very important thing. 
all 50 tag, this is WWE tag teams. This isn't like, you know, like going out and, and like Rob Van Dam and Sebu are not on the list. Harlem Heat's not on the list. The American Males are not on the list. So I know, I saw your face there, Mike. You were like, no American Males. I was going to sing the song and I stopped myself from doing it. <laughs> um, but the New Day, the New Day comes in as the greatest tag team of all time. And I have to tell you, I personally am not mad at that. Nor am I. I, 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 uh, I couldn't believe it, you know, watching the reaction on wrestling Twitter to the, the back and forth on people for and against New Day being number one. I, I couldn't get it, to be honest with you. I don't understand the outrage. To me, if you think about, right, if you, if you go back, Sam, to the golden age of tag teams of the WWE, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, who really had a run that encompassed as much time as the New Day? You know what I mean? And even still today, the New Day are an active, they're an active uh, a piece of business. And what would it be, six or seven years into the New Day at this point? At least, probably more. Yeah, and if you think about it, right, like, and this is me being there from the inside, like, the original incarnation of the New Day and what it has evolved to present day and the fact that even with Big E on a separate roster from Kofi and Xavier, uh, and when the three of them are together, that magic is still there. It still exists. And they're still so strong and still such an entertaining and powerful entity. But what they started off as, Sam, and what they evolved themselves into, because what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of what the New Day became from where they started was through the work and the efforts of Kofi, E, and Xavier. That was the New Day became their heart and soul. Like, you know, if you if you look at a wrestling show when crowds are there, right, the it's still real to me signs, those three guys embody those words because the New Day doesn't exist without the feeling, the love, and all the work that the three of those guys put into it. They are hands down deserving of being the number one tag team in WWE history. You can make an argument for the number one tag team in all of wrestling. You could absolutely make that argument. And when you think about what the what the New Day has done, first of all, I think it actually goes to their credit that this is not the golden age of tag team wrestling anymore. The fact that in today's WWE, when tag teams are broken up for sport, that the New Day is such a strong act that even when it comes time to sort of break them up, they're not broken up. Right? Like when it comes time for Big E to do his solo thing, we're still not going to break up the New Day. We're going to split the roster, but we're still going to have New Day be kind of a thing because it's so strong. Because I, I, I think that, that part of what makes a tag team, and this will come as we, as we talk about this list, this will come into play for me. But part of what makes a great tag team is the combined sum of the parts must be greater than the parts themselves. The New Day is so strong, even with Kofi Kingston having a WWE championship reign, even with Big E potentially getting there as well, even with Xavier showing what he can do in the last few months with like the Hell in a Cell match with Lashley and the stuff he was doing with Riddle. With all that said, the New Day is still, the nucleus of all of that is the New Day. It's not the reverse. The New Day isn't getting pushed because Kofi Kingston was so strong as champion. 
it's the opposite. I don't think Kofi Kingston becomes champion without the New Day. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I agree across the board with everything you said. It's funny, you know, initially when we talked, when, you know, when you would ask me about this, I was kind of given some thought, because like I said, I knew that the New Day were the number one. And, you know, with the points that you just made, you can really make a case and argument that the New Day are ve- very reminiscent of the Four Horsemen. Mm. The original incarnation of the horsemen with Flair, the Andersons, and Tully Blanchard. Four individuals who on their own were some of the baddest dudes in all of wrestling, highly accomplished, you know, champions, amazing skill in the ring, etc. But together, was there anybody more dangerous than the four horsemen? And that's what you have in the new day. You have three men who are very capable of being world champion, one of them in Kofi Kingston already having reached the top of the mountain. It's, you know, Biggie's pretty much there. And like you said, Xavier Woods and what he's done is Hell in a Cell main event with Bobby Lashley on Raw. The program that he had with Riddle and Randy Orton just to kind of, you know, further along that story, you know, you're seeing a new side of Woods and that new elevated level of Woods. These three guys on their own could be world champions. Together, they're an amazing, they're just an amazing cohesive unit that obviously and clearly dominate wherever they go. I mean, you know, how awesome, if you think back, Sam, uh, you know, I, the years slipped me, but, you know, there were a couple pay-per-views where on the kickoff show, the New Day and the Usos were tearing the house down. <laughs> and, you know, you had people scratching their heads going, how in God's name is this not on the main show? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you look at the journey that the New Day has been on. And by the way, the Usos deserve to be on this list, too. Like, I mean, I, w- I could easily make the argument to put the Usos in top five. So, I mean, the Usos went from wearing face paint and like pleather board shorts to somehow breaking through and being not only a real tag team, but one of the best acts in wrestling to the point that they're both main event guys standing next to Roman at the absolute peak of Roman's entire career. Like, that's how good the Usos are. But the New Day, when you think about how they started, like, they weren't, It this shouldn't have worked. And it didn't work. You know, when they came on and they were heels, but not intentionally. They were heels because people thought they sucked. The whole reason New Day rocks is a chant is because they. I remember sitting in Madison Square Garden and watching these guys do the kind of gospel thing that they were trying to do at the very beginning of the New Day. Yeah. And listening to the audience chant, New Day sucks. New Day sucks. And it was, you could, but you could feel it. I, was, I, remember, I remember that show specifically because I remember watching Woods and he'd be sitting there going, New Day rocks, as if he didn't hear them right. Yeah, but there was something so, uh, and you go, oh my god, is are they gonna make this work? Is like Woods and Cole, are they gonna make this work by by acknowledging and playing off of it and twisting it? And like we're at the point now where I don't think one person in that building that was chanting "New Day sucks" would admit today that they were chanting "New Day sucks." Yeah, no, no, I was I was the one that was chanting "New Day rocks." Right. That's where they got it from. <laughs> yeah. I, it was me that was doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, another moment for those guys, Sam, that stands out to me uh, was during The Rock's return. The Rock, I, th- I want to say we were in Atlanta. I could be wrong, but I think we were. Uh, the Rock and The New Day, back and forth promo. Rock couldn't hang with New Day. That's right. I'm, I'm going to say it. The Rock could not hang with New Day on the mic that night. And there were a couple moments during that segment, Sam, where The Rock was visibly kind of caught up. 
You know, I don't know if he wasn't, you know, if the, the Brian Gewurz insults weren't firing off his clean, <laughs> but he could not hang with New Day that night. I mean, he was still good. He was still the rock, but I will, I will hands down stand up and say that the New Day were, were the ones that bested the people's champ that night on the microphone. And that's not something that's easily done. Yeah. I mean, they've been tag team champions like what, 13 times or something like that. Would you... I mean, at no point, whenever the New Day wins the tag title, even now, there's no sort of, oh, my God, how many times? Oh, we've seen this before. It's always like, oh, great, the New Day are the champs again. That sounds good to me. Exactly. And if you're a lapsed fan or even just a casual fan, if you even operate under the assumption that the New Day are a tag champion on either brand, you're more than likely going to be right because that's where they belong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I don't have any problem with that. However... You know I do my due diligence. I'm the last professional broadcaster, after all. Your re your researching skills run so deep, it impresses me sometimes. That's exactly right. You know what I did to research this? I watched the entire last episode. The all the entire top five list. Yes, yes, all the entire final five. I watched all of them. Um, and tell me what tell me what your your first instinct where this lands with you. Here are the top five greatest WWE tag teams of all time, according to Peacock, Matt Camp, and Breezango. It's, yeah. Love it's, those guys. I know. Poor, I mean, I'm sitting there watching them going like, what? Keep them in the warehouse. Have them host these specials all the time. Do something. They're the greatest. Uh, I tell you what, I, I, I have the feeling that you have not seen the last of those two gentlemen uh, in a major wrestling promotion. Uh, somebody somebody else will, will, will capitalize and then, and, just have a hell of a run with those two, whether they be together or, or, or a solo act. Yeah, a lot to offer. Uh, but here are the five tag teams, okay? Number five, the Dudley Boys. Number four, Edge and Christian. Number three, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. Number two, the Hardy Boys. Number one, New Day. It's an, it's an interesting grouping. Yes, yes. It's it's an interesting grouping. So I guess, so five, the Dudleys, four, Edge and Christian, three, Breton and uh, the Hitman and the Anvil, the Heart Foundation. Yes. Two, or Matt and Jeff. Yes. One, or the New Day. Man. I, I mean, as you think about this, I can tell you, I got major problems. Yeah, so I guess... I can see what they tried to do, obviously, by grouping the three most influential tag teams of the Attitude Era and beyond together, right? Like, basically, in your top five, you've got, you've got Edge and Christian, you've got the Hardys, and you've got Bubba Ray and Devon, or Bully Ray and Devon. I can see what they did there. Um, it's interesting because, to me... And again, my, my timelines might be a little fuzzy here. Were the Dudley boys around long enough in the WWE and together long enough? You know, like, I feel like the matches they were part of were more impactful as opposed to the work they did while they were there. And it's not an insult to Bubba and Devon. I love both those guys, and I think they're unbelievably talented. But in terms of the overall impact and effect they had on WWE, I feel like the matches that they were part of if this makes sense, were more front and center than their individual contribution. Are you just mad because what Bubba said about Eddie Kingston? 
man. I, I mean, <laughs> again, wrestling Twitter, yeah. wrestling Twitter blew up. Um, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Um, for me, I, look, I think that they put Edge and Christian, Hardy Boys, and the Dudley Boys all in the top five because I, I think that the narrative is how important those two TLC matches are. Yes. And those are the three teams. And, uh, you know, that's a fair argument. Um, you know, I think I could see the Dudley boys being in the top five. Um, r- reason for that is not even the TLC matches, but the way they kind of they came in to WWE in the tie dye. You know, in the very beginning, they were still in tie dye. You didn't quite know where they fit in. Bubba and didn't have his stutter, though. Bubba did not have his stutter. Thank God. And but they 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 reinvented themselves in a pretty substantial way, you know. That not only did they bring the camo in, but they they went from tie dye ECW guys to Devon get the tables, and they were able to do the table thing in a very WWE way, you know. I mean, putting May Young through the table and all those all those all those table spots and Bubba's weird orgasmic trance, yeah. I think it, <laughs> I think that's all very memorable. Um, and I think they were able, the way they were able to change that and kind of become like almost kid friendly baby faces. Uh, you know, when Devon started doing the, Ooh, <laughs> like that, that ridiculousness. Um, I'm, well, I want to know who my first big, big issue is with on this top five. My big issue is number two. Hardy's. Yeah. Do you think they shouldn't be number two or they shouldn't be top five? I don't think they should be number two. I mean, you can make an argument for them being in the top five, but they're Matt and again, Matt and Jeff, great tag team, mm-hmm. hell of an impact on the business. But I mean, greatest tag teams, you know, there's there there are a lot of contenders in there, Sam. I don't know that I would put Matt and Jeff in the top in that second spot. I would not either. I don't think that they should be in that second spot. I don't think Edge and Christian should be in the top five. And here's why. Here's why. Before everybody gets starts flaming me, here's why. What did I say about the New Day and tag teams? To be one of the greatest tag teams, the sum of all parts should be larger than the parts separate. I mean, Edge, it's not even a conversation. Like, Edge is, Edge, for, there's a, re, Edge went into the Hall of Fame on his own because Edge's, Edge's solo stuff from, from coming in as the brooding guy on the subway to the rated R superstar to the run that he's on now, to, I mean, everything in between. Like, you could go on and on for days about Edge and the solo career that he had. He, I mean, I think John Cena's best rival. Maybe Randy, but to me, Edge. Um, but I also think Christian. I think Christian, the Captain Charisma run is very underrated. You know, when he came out in the big glittery, like, workout oh, yeah. suit and everything. Oh, yeah. And, like, the, the theme music. Christian! At last, you're on your It's so good. And the fireworks would come down. Like that was so good, and even the run that he had later, when he got out of TNA and came back, and he like had that week as champion, and people just like like when they built that appreciation towards Christian, 
I just think that the stuff that they did solo, I think, outweighs the tag team stuff. And and for that reason, you know, will you top ten? Maybe okay. Like all right. Like I, I would. Yeah, I I would keep them top ten. But I do agree with you, Sam, that they're you know. And look, but you can make the same arguments for Matt and Jeff. I think the stuff that Matt and Jeff did solo overshadowed a lot of the Hardy boy stuff, especially Jeff's run when he was WWE champion. But if you go back to edge and Christian, you know, they were a part of a lot of entertaining moments, but again, like kind of like what I said with the Dudley boys, you know, and obviously with your perspective thrown in as well, which I totally agree on in terms of their singles career. I think a lot of people, they hold the three of those tag teams in such high regard because of how memorable and how innovative select matches they were part of mm. how how highly held they are in wrestling fans hearts and minds and I, it's hard to not let that overshadow their overall contribution to tag team wrestling you know uh, you know outside of just those matches you know so i would agree i wouldn't necessarily put these guys in a top in a in the top five top ten you can definitely make that argument i would uh, but top five, yeah, it's especially with especially with those three teams, man. It's just, it's very very hard for me to kind of to agree with that standing. I think it's more so if you were putting, you know, the impact of a match on tag team wrestling, you know, the TLC match at WrestleMania, that's probably number one, right? Right, right. Was that WrestleMania seventeen, right in Houston? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's pro- or was, or was it, that TLC too? I, I I can't forget. There's so many. Yeah, I think, I think the latter match. Did they do WrestleMania? They did something at WrestleMania 2000, right? Which was WrestleMania 16 in Anaheim. That may have been. That may have been TLC one. Standby caller. I'm gonna go to the Google machine. Yeah, yeah. Because now I'm. I think TLC one was WrestleMania 2000. Unless that was just a ladder match. WrestleMania. That was a ladder match. Ladder match. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then maybe I think they did a TLC match at WrestleMania 17 and at SummerSlam. That was TLC one and two. I feel like TLC two was at SummerSlam or am I wrong? TLC was. That was at WrestleMania 17. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they deserve and and you think about it too to me the the match that really revolutionized uh tag team ladder matches like the match that to me I remember watching and going like having my little mind blown at what I could see in these ladder matches was actually the I think it was the No Mercy No Mercy yeah it was the finals of the TIT the Terry Invitational tournament yes Edge and Christian <laughs> versus the Hardys ladder yes. match. I had never seen anything like that. And that's the match that those two teams, they were not main event level, and they got the standing ovation the next night on Raw when they just came out and shook hands. You remember that? Put, put them on the map. Absolutely. Put them on the map. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to yeah. get you want to get controversial? Yes. Okay. The Hart Foundation. No place on the top 5. <laughs> Hart Foundation does not and I tell and look Anybody that watched that Bret Hart A&E documentary, they all know I love the Hitman. I'll I'll weave a Hitman story with the best of them. I think Bret Hart is is, you know, top five greatest, literally top five greatest wrestlers of all time. The Hitman's on the list, okay. But 
I'm going to go back. Was the Hart Foundation one of the top five greatest tag teams in WWE history, or was it a launching pad for Bret Hart? Uh, I think a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Okay. I, mean, I think inadvertently it became Bret's launching pad, right? Mm -hmm. Because real when they brought when they brought the Stampede guys over, when they brought Bret, Jim, uh, Dynamite Kid, and Davy Boy over, outside of Davy Boy and Dynamite being together, they didn't have any plans for those two to be together. They kind of put them together because, you know, Brett wasn't really too into the idea of being cowboy Bret Hart. <laughs> and Jim Neidhart was just a big dude that they really had nothing for. You brought these guys together, you give them Jimmy Hart, and the Hart Foundation is born. But, you know, again, these the Hart Foundation contributed a lot to tag team wrestling. Mm -hmm. I don't know to me that they are a top five. I personally would have put the Rockers in the top five over the Hart Foundation. Whoa. See, that's a big statement because wait till I tell you this. The Rockers, number oh, no. 14. Not even top 10, which I think that that's disrespectful. It's it's wrong because the Rockers were actually innovative. You know what I mean? In yeah. terms of what they were doing and what they brought to tag team wrestling, you know, from what they were doing in the AWA when they were feuding with the, uh, you know, Doug Summers and Buddy Rose all the way to get into the WWF and what they were, you know, the teams that they were working with. I mean, look, their first WrestleMania appearance at WrestleMania five, they're working the twin towers, right? You know what I mean? You go to WrestleMania six, they had a banger with the Orient express. Right. Did I get that right? I think that's right. I think that's right. Right. WrestleMania seven, you know, like they had, they had these great tag team matches um, with and they could work with everybody. The Rockers could yes. work with you know. You could put them in with the powers of pain and demolition. They'd have a believable match. You know, they were tag team champions for you know a second until you know the power of post production said that match <laughs> never happened. Yeah, um, until the Mike Mansuri of his day came in and said you actually were never tag team champions. <laughs> but if you know, if you think about, it, they were innovators. That style, that high flying, insane tandem offense that the Rockers brought. Who else was really doing, you know, things like that at the time, Sam? Because if you think back to when we were younger, we were growing up, you know, before the Rockers, you had guys like the Killer Bees, you know, the, the Bulldogs would throw out some tandem offense, but nothing with the, with the finesse and skill that the Rockers were kind of throwing out there. And I think them not being in the top 10 is disrespectful. And in terms of their impact, not just on the WWF, I think in tag team or WWE, excuse me, tag team wrestling in general you can't you can't ignore that you can't ignore that what they innovated had such an impact on the teams to come in the future like the hardys the young bucks um you know guys of that ilk who weren't the biggest but man could they move and do some cool shit i mean the sort of tandem offense you can see it in in the new day especially when you get like kofi and xavier together you can see a rocker's influence there. I mean, theoretically, you could kind of, you could argue, though, that if you had Kofi and Big E together, you would see a Hart Foundation influence because the Hart Foundation had that sort of, this is the Same power guy, guy, this is the technical guy thing. And and yeah, and, and no disrespect either to the Hart Foundation because, you know, people talk about the SummerSlam run that Bret Hart went on. And that's true. I mean, su SummerSlam matches, nobody's better. Bret Hart, 91, 92, 93, 94. But I think 90 
You can also mention that's the Heart Foundation and Demolition. That's two out of three falls. That's two out of three falls. Matt. Yeah, it's incredible. It's an incredible, incredible match. Um, but again, I'm with you. I don't think the Heart Foundation is a top five. I think Bret Hart's top five of all time. I love me some Anvil. You know, I'm I'm good with it, but not for me. I also this came to me as a shock and utter disrespect, and quite frankly. It made me feel like this list was riddled with ignorance. Uh-oh. Ignorance. Number 50. The Bushwhackers. Come on. Come on. For God's sake. The Bushwhackers don't rank higher than 50. The Bushwhackers, they, as long as they lasted, they were a team. They were defined. Luke defined Butch. Butch defined Luke. Okay? You wish you had somebody in your life that meant as much to you as Luke did to Butch and vice versa. To sit there and say that there are 49 teams in the WWE history better than the Bushwhackers, poppycock. I'm not sitting here saying that they're the top five or even top 10, but number 50, it's an insult. Sam, I love you. The batter and ram was a great finish, Yeah, but the Bushwhackers don't belong on the fucking list. <laughs> <laughs> let's, 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 what? let's. What? Let's be let's be real here. They they don't even belong. If if you were talking the sheep herders, you know, right. a couple bloodthirsty dudes, absolutely. The Bushwhackers were a comedy act. You know, there was no. two guys who were. I, hey, look, I know, but they were there. They, look, they were there for the crowd's entertainment and enjoyment. They don't belong on the list. I mean, you know what we do, pal? We make movies. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is this is. The movies aren't always good. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. I see. Even with Jameson, even if you throw Jameson in there, that movie was straight to video. Oh, that yeah. was straight to video. That's, that's right. That was a VHS special. Um, so look, in my top five, I think two glaring omissions in the top five. One, I think I get the rationale. I think it's it's wrong. But at least I think I get the rationale. The other, I don't understand the rationale at all. So the Legion of Doom should be in the top five tag teams of all time. And I think the reason they're not is because people look at the Road Warriors career. And they look at the peak of the Road Warriors being before they got to WWE. The, the, the real, and, and it's true. If you look at the, the Road Warriors career, at their best was the probably the early but more mid-80s, the National Wrestling Alliance, the Road Warriors, Paul Ellering, the whole thing. By the time they got to WWE, it was just a different act. However, even the Road Warriors not at their peak are still the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom. I mean, they were, and their run was short, Mike. I understand that. Their run, when you think about it, they showed up in 90. They were gone by 92, and they had like a, a little a little break in the middle of that. They had to disappear for six months and refresh themselves. And still, they were gone by 92. They came back again in 97. They came back again in 2000. John Heidenreich at one point became a road warrior. I don't know what happened eventually. But what I'm saying is the Legion of Doom, 90 to 92 in WWE, were as big of stars. It was Hogan, Warrior, Legion of Doom. There was no tag team even close in that era to being as big as the Legion of Doom with the big red shoulder pads. I mean, iconic. I think that even in two years, 
they deserve a place in the top five. It's it's an interesting thing. I I don't agree with you. I don't believe that they belong in the top five because again, to me, this is the 50 greatest tag teams in WWE history. Yes. Their run was short. You know, we talked about SummerSlam 90 earlier, that awesome two out of three falls match with Demolition and the Heart Foundation. To me, that match served more so the purpose of bringing the Road Warriors in. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it was to me. It wasn't necessarily so much, you know, the, the crowning achievement of the Heart Foundation now as Babyface is taking the tag titles because they dropped them, what, seven months later to the Nasty Boys at WrestleMania 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is at a time where there are fewer pay-per-views, so you're not seeing frequent t- title changes like we became yeah, accustomed and, to. and the Nasty Boys only won at WrestleMania 7, so they could go to SummerSlam 91. And they dropped them. And, and that, dropped them. Is, that was the best moment to me in any part of the Road Warriors run or the Legion of Doom from their arrival through their sporadic appearances in the 90s, that no-holds-barred fight with the Nasty Boys at SummerSlam 91, absolutely awesome. But I think I think that's where they peaked. They didn't really do much more, Sam, that kind of like stood out compared to what they were doing in the NWA when they were feuding with Nikita Koloff and, and you know, Ivan Koloff, the stuff that they were doing with Dusty Rhodes and the Horsemen, like, it doesn't really it doesn't really match up if if you got if if I had that caliber of road warriors and the programs they were working in the 80s working for Crockett and the NWA you bring that to the WWE top 5 hands down but the WWE version of the road of the road warriors legion of doom and what they did there nah not top 5 even with the golden shoulder pads riding in with Rocco to Wembley stadium well, like you said, we make movies, right, pal? <laughs> yeah. Well, what about this? Can you look at the Legion of Doom in a vacuum? Can we act like they never did anything before 1990 and never did anything after 1992? Meaning that you cannot compare the Legion of Doom to what the Road Warriors did before. And if they're not being compared to what they were, if you're just comparing the Legion of Doom as a two-year entity to what else was going on in WWE? Still not top five. Wow. Wow. Okay, all right. Well, I think I'm going to win you over with my next one. then. Okay. This one should absolutely be top five. And this one, it's because you took two stars that were not doing well on their own, brought them together, formed an iconic tag team, tried to split them apart, Never got the same magic again. You know why? It's because you didn't know. Yo ass better call somebody. 100% the New Age Outlaws are a top five all-time WWE tag team. Without a doubt. Yes. Yes. I mean, I I don't think people uh, appreciate what a big deal. Because they both became such big stars after the New Age Outlaws hit. The people forgot they're sitting there and it's like Rockabilly from the Smoking Guns is wearing a Cartman t-shirt and the roadie is walking around with braids sticking out of his hat and you're like, I don't even know who these guys are. They're just thrown together. A JR on commentary calls them, these guys are a couple of new age outlaws. And all of a sudden that's their name. There's no thought put into anything. But these two left to their own devices and you got one guy wearing Zubas, one guy wearing hot pants. They're complete opposites, yet somehow there was more chemistry 
between those two guys than just about any. I mean, it, it was New Day level chemistry between Billy Gunn and the Road Dog, which is amazing because the way they were introduced into WWE, Road Dog was attached at the hip to Jeff Jarrett and mm-hmm. Billy was attached at the hip to Bart. You would think that these guys on their own wouldn't be able to work at all, but you just put them together and boom, look at what we got. <clears throat> they were they were so good. And it was at a time, right, where, you know, from my understanding of talking to guys like Brian James and Billy Gunn around that time, it was very much sink or swim. And the locker room was very competitive because you were always clamoring for whatever sort of real estate you can get on TV. Like you said, two guys that were in failed gimmicks or whatever the case may have been come together and really just amplify who they are as human beings to 11, which is always the greatest success that you find in the business. And man, what a tandem, what an absolute tandem, but they were so dominant. Like, you know, to me, Sam, I've always had a take and look, I'm probably the biggest Shawn Michaels fan in the history of Shawn Michaels fans, but the best version of DX wasn't the original. To me, the best version of DX was the incarnation of the five, Triple H, China, X-Pac, the New Age Outlaws. The DX Army. The DX Army. The New Age Outlaws were the heart of that version of DX. DX doesn't work that way without the New Age Outlaws. Um, You know, it was interesting because you saw the seeds planted, especially... You know, when Sean's back was busted going into that WrestleMania main event with Austin, when Sean and Hunter were kind of using the road, the road dog and Billy Gunn as like their lackeys to do shit to kind of motivate these guys to get to the next level. But you always knew there was something special about those guys once they got together. And once they realized that potential, they ran over everyone. And it was legitimate and believable because, you know, folks don't realize the road dog's a big dude. Brian James is 6'4", yeah. you know, 250. Billy Gunn's like 6'6", 260 of just, you know, he's brick shithouse. These guys were legitimate athletes and just, you know, awesome entertainers. And, you know, they can they can hold their own in the ring and you put them in there with anybody and the story was told. Man, the yeah, you know, as, as, especially being in the Attitude Era, to stand out at that time for what they were doing and to stand out as boldly and brightly as they did, you cannot ignore their contribution to tag team wrestling um, for them to not be in the top five is a crime. Yeah, and you make a great point about their importance in DX, too, because when you think about it, I mean, pre-DX, they were over, man. WrestleMania 14, the WrestleMania where Austin beat HBK, you also have the dumpster match between yes. the Outlaws and Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack, and that was a hot rivalry. I mean, who doesn't remember that angle where Terry Funk and Cactus Jack are in the dumpster. They get thrown off. And, like, you thought it was real because Sonny runs over, and she's not yelling, oh, are you okay, Chainsaw Charlie? She's going, no, Terry, no. And I'm like, oh, they're saying Terry. They're not saying Terry. They killed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's never going to survive this. So that was already happening, right? I feel like X-Pac comes out, and it was awesome, right? X-Pac comes out the night after. If the outlaws are not added to that group, then DX doesn't become this new thing. DX just becomes a ripoff. The original DX was basically what was left of the click, right? Like HBK, Triple H, and obviously China. I mean, I don't know if Rick Rude was ever officially click, but he also wasn't around that long. But it was the click, right? So if the new DX is Triple H, China, and X-Pac, 
But that's just the click again. That's it's the same thing, only it feels slightly lesser because Sean is such a big star. However, if you throw the outlaws in there, this is a a a, a fresh, edgy group, and it added this new layer of character and depth to what this new DX was. It wasn't about the click anymore. It wasn't about Sean at all. It was about this new thing. And that was the energy the outlaws put into it. Yeah. I mean, look, the original incarnation of DX was designed to keep Sean hot as a, as a heel, right. And to obviously elevate Hunter Hearst Helmsley to triple H, uh, a guy that, you know, was going to be elevated prior to the curtain call. And obviously, you know, history played out the way it did, but you know, that's that second incarnation just did did so much because everyone was already made by the time that came together. You know what I mean? And like we talked about the new day, once that once that once that crew came together and formed that nucleus of DX, they were great, they were a greater group entity than they were as solo as a solo act. So but without without New Age Outlaws, it doesn't it doesn't resonate the same way. Okay, so let's figure out who we have in our top five then we're keeping the new day we agree on the outlaws you're not giving me lod i'm not giving you okay. Legion of Doom. okay I'm sorry i'm you, sorry will you let me keep the dudleys then we can put them at five if you want let's keep them at five and maybe as we as we converse the the conversation will evolve okay so you got new day dudleys outlaws edge and christian are gone heart foundation's gone what do we do with the Hardys? Where do we land on Matt and Jeff? I am okay keeping them in the top five. Not number two, but top five. I think you are okay with having them in the top five. Oh, yeah. You, they, they have to be there. Okay. All right. So we've got New Day, Dudley's, Hardys, and Outlaws. Look at that. Still Dudley's, Hardys, and Outlaws. Very Attitude Era heavy. I mean, is there is there a team? Interesting that the golden era of tag teams, quote-unquote, Still doesn't leave us with a golden era heavy top five. Well, so let's let's go to the golden era, right? Let's call let's call the golden era of tag team wrestling 1985 to 1993. We'll say sure. I think I think that's fair and reasonable, right? More than reasonable. You could probably go a little uh, later than 85, but we could st stick it at 85. Uh, yeah, you you probably you probably could go a little bit later because it, though it's funny, right? Like for me what I always think of, right, when, when folks always talk about the tag team landscape and how it's so, you know, non-existent now. Do you remember the first Survivor Series, the 87 Survivor Series? With the, with the, with the, with the tag match with all of the tag teams? Yeah, like, I, I, I watched, I remember watching it as a kid and being so, like, enamored with it, but then watching it after, you know, being a part of the production side of the business, just being like, man, you really just put yourself in a position where you can't shoot this thing well, can you? Um, <laughs> Look at the tag teams that were in there, right? Like Demolition. They left a hell of a mark, right? They were the longest Absolutely. reigning tag champs up until the New Day took them down. You had the Powers of Pain. Good. Good. Yeah. I wouldn't put them top five. But yeah, I mean, and, you know, good enough that the Warlord and the Barbarian, as much as they were great, they, they, they re-gimmicked them and everything, and it was still not quite as... Devastating. When you see Warlord and Barbarian at an indie show today, they go back to Powers of Pain. That should tell you everything you need yeah, to know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the warlord probably doesn't have his wand with the W anymore. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't. I think his his metal half half face <laughs> <laughs> is gone. <laughs> so, it, I guess I guess before we dive into this, Sam, in terms of criteria, right? What do you feel is the ultimate criteria to determine someone's place on this top fifty list? Well, I think you have to. Your primary impact has to be as a team. You know, I think if because that like that's like the Hart Foundation, I think it's cheating because Bret Hart made such an impact solo that it makes the Hart Foundation into a bigger deal, but that's not fair for ranking tag teams. So I think the biggest impact that you make has to be with the team. Um I I I think it's gotta be a tag team that we put as an act on the same level of a main event star like you know the tag teams shouldn't be that far removed from how we feel about the top five single superstars you know but they should be yep. different but they should be different people like you shouldn't you can't make the top five singles and the top five tag team because if you do then your tag team probably wasn't that impactful it was probably more about you as a singles so i can i can agree with that okay all right which is why, to me, like, this is why I can keep the Hardys top five. Because that's the only iffy one. Dudley's, New Day, Outlaws, all strong as a unit. Hardys, you could make the argument, especially with Jeff in the WWE, because he was WWE champion, because he was so popular. But ultimately, if we get to WrestleMania 34, I want to say, in Orlando, and that Hardys music comes on, and it's just Jeff. It's not Matt and Jeff. I don't think the reaction is the same. I think that that was the reaction because no matter what, the Hardy Boys are the Hardy Boys. Yeah. And I mean, the Hardys were doing some cool shit on the Indies at that time, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, I mean, they literally had a ladder match with the Young Bucks the night before. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were coming off of this awesome Ring of Honor rivalry with the Young Bucks. You know, they were doing the the broken Matt Hardy and the brother Nero yes. bit in a, at Impact and just having a hell of a time. Um, and they're a draw, right? Like the Hardy boys could put asses in seats. They could sell tickets. The Dudley boys could put asses in seats. They could sell tickets. The New Age Outlaws could put asses in seats yes. and sell tickets as, could, as the New Day could as well. Um, and so it's funny, right? Like if, if we're going to settle on that as a top five, like I said, this will probably be evolving as the conversation goes to dive back into the golden era of wrestling. You know, if you really think about it, while there really were a lot of great teams, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I, we could probably dive through history books and look at like, you know, the B and C cards that they were doing back in the day when they were running like 35 house shows a day. You know, I'm sure the tag team champions were headlining in some capacity in some of these cards and in some of these towns. You know, so think about that era, Sam, and the tags that we had, the ones that really stand out that upper echelon, right? I'm not talking about the young stallions. Right, <laughs> right. You know, so if you look at if you look at the 80s and the tags that were a draw, demolition. Yes. The Heart Foundation. Yes. The British Bulldogs. The British Bulldogs might be a they so those are guys that you could argue could weasel their way into a top five spot with what they did. But again, you know, if you're talking about 
overall impact. While the Bulldogs had some awesome matches with the Hart Foundation, their lifespan in the WWE wasn't that short. Long. Yeah. Yeah. However, I mean, how much of the tag stuff do you think was responsible for Davy Boy Smith being a successful solo act? Or do you think that Davy Boy Smith's solo stuff eclipses the tag stuff? So to me, it's funny, right? And, and this is just my opinion. The Dynamite Kid overshadowed Davy Boy when the when the Bulldogs were a tandem. Yes, that's fair. Davy obviously comes into his own when he comes back to the WWE. He's got the dreads. He's you know big and jacked. He's hitting a standing vertical suplex on the Warlord, and then he and Brett are closing out SummerSlam. Yes. So I would say Davy the single eclipsed the Bulldogs. Okay. In the WWE, obviously. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> Dynamite Kid has a far superior run in his singles career with all the shit that he was doing in Japan. You know, the innovative matches he was having with Tiger Mask that, you know, opened, busted the doors open for cruiserweights to really have a, have a place in the world of wrestling. And, you know, you've got that there. But, you know, in terms of the golden era of tag team wrestling, the Bulldogs, they were great, but are they... Maybe too short. Uh, I, also, top five. I also think that uh, <laughs> you have to differentiate between tag teams and factions. The New Day, for example, even though there's three members, they act as a tag team. They go by the Freebird rule. Like, they, they are a tag team. For me, the Shield is a faction. The Shield always felt like it was more about, like, you could see the Shield filling up with individual titles. I know at one point they had the tag title in the in the faction, but still, it wasn't like you could swap out members, you know? I think it was like Ambrose was the United States champion. Rollins and Roman were the tag champions. And it was no question about who were the tag champions, who was the U.S. champion. So because of that dynamic, I don't consider the Shield uh, uh, a tag team. The Wyatt family is not, definitely not a tag team. Um, no. You know, those those are all factions. So I think that that's important, too. I mean, Demolition at one point had three members but still a tag team because, you know, Axe wasn't really wrestling. I mean, do you think Demolition could get in this top five? Uh, For WWE. Because I'm with you. At first, I wasn't. I'm only getting there now because we're traveling there within this conversation. But for WWE, could we hear Here Comes the Axe and Here Comes the Smasher? Rick Derringer just ripping it up for the demolition theme, right? Um, I, I think you could, Sam. I really think you could. You know, definitely top 10 because of what they meant to the WWE. And they really were the face of the tag division for a very long time. Um, <clears throat> you know, they scared the living crap out of me when I was a kid. I was afraid to go see them at house shows at MSG. But, yeah, I think you could make an argument for demolition being in that top five. I kind of think you could, too. I mean, the way I'm looking at this, I think we may have a list that goes number one, the New Day. Number two, can you put the New Age Outlaws at number two? I think I can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Controversially, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I got New Day, New Age Outlaws, Hardy's at number three. Dudley's at number four, 
Demo at five. I can switch Dudleys and Demo if you're more comfortable. I would say on my list, I would probably flip-flop the Dudleys and Demolition. Maybe put Demolition at four, the Dudleys at five. All right. So here to correct the WWE's list, Sam Roberts, Mike Mansuri, we have come up with the quintessential top five tag teams list. It should, WWE said it was Dudley's, Edge and Christian, Hart Foundation, Hardy Boys, New Day. Preposterous. The real list is Dudley's, Demolition, Hardy's, Outlaws, New Day. Did we do it? Now I'm second guessing two and three. <laughs> Between the Hardys and the Outlaws? Well, keep in mind, at the beginning of this conversation, the very beginning, when I read you WWE's list, you said the Hardy Boys should not be number two. I know. <laughs> now I you're know. like... I, 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 feel like, like I, I, feel, I, I feel like I talked myself into them being at number two. Yeah. Um, man. I like the Outlaws at number two. I think they're very underrated as a team. I think that sometimes we forget because DX was so powerful, but yeah, I mean, I like the New Age Outlaws, especially because they're like the New Day in the sense that, well, I guess you could make the same argument for the Hardys. The Hardys were a job team that were just coming in and they all somehow became the biggest stars, the in biggest wrestling. stars in wrestling. Yeah. Sam, I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to eat my words here. The Hardys are going number two. I think the Hardys belong in that two spot. Wow. So now it goes Dudley's Demolition, Outlaws, Hardys, New Day. All right. I can live with it. I can live with it. Mike Mansuri, I am uh, very grateful that at any time of day I can just text you and go. Hey, do you want to make a list of the top tag teams of all time? And you're like, yes, yeah, 10 minutes. Good. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's go do it. I'm glad. It's, I'm just very grateful that I have somebody that has a brain that operates on my wrestling level where we can just sit down and have a discussion about, you know, all the tag teams in the world. Anytime. Hey, we might get to the point where I might start texting you to fire up the Not Sam studio and let's just record a podcast for the sake of doing it. Um, I, I love these things, right? It, it's, it's, it's always fun to kind of debate a list. And to talk about it, and especially, <clears throat> you know, we're fortunate enough that we actually got to live through uh, some amazing tag teams. Yeah. Were the Brain Busters, were the Brain Busters on the list at all? Uh, let me go check real quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that uh, before because that's a good point. I mean, we we're locked into our top five. By the way, we can't mess with it. But I want to add Strike Force in there. Strike Force in the top five. But I do want to see if uh, if the Brain Busters made the list. Okay, we've got uh, Bushwhackers, Too Cool, Quebecers, Smoking Gun, Strike Force, Head Shrinkers, Kane and X-Pac, Evolution. That's a faction, not a tag team. Eminem, The Nasty Boys, Rated RKO, uh, London and Kendrick, DIY. World's Greatest Tag Team, Money, Inc., Jericho, Harper and Rowan, Miz and Morrison, Nikolai and the Sheik, Blackjacks. What about the American Express? Where's Rotunda and Wyndham? I'm not seeing the American Express and more 
I'm seeing the Valiant Brothers. I'm not seeing the Brain Busters on this list. That's absurd. Rock and Sock Connection, Fuji and Tanaka, Soul Patrol. Yeah. Undisputed Era. That's again, that's a faction. <clears throat> yeah, this list is insane. You know, we may have to just hunker down for an evening and go through the top 50 because this thing needs some work. This thing. This... I'm disqualifying the list. I'm disqualifying yeah. it. It's absurd. Uh, Mike Mansuri, I appreciate your time, man. You're the best. Hey, thanks for having me on, Sammy. Anytime, baby. You give me, you give me that nod, you'll have me in 10 minutes or less. I'm faster than dumb. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.